Welcome to the Law of Startups podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Thank you for being with us. Today, we're lucky to have with us Bonnie Foley-Wong. Uh, Bonnie is an impact investor and an author who's written a really cool book. Bonnie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Joe and Mike. For sure. So tell us, tell us, Bonnie, about uh, the book you wrote and, and kind of what inspired you to write it and, and what inspired you to become an impact investor and um, how you think about the, the, the arena of, uh, of impact investing at this time. And I'll, I'll probably answer those questions in reverse order. Um, so I've been uh, in the finance and investment industry pretty much all my career uh, and was financing pretty large deals, commercial real estate deals in Europe um, for five, six years before moving into impact investing. And I was living in London in the UK at the time. This was some, let's see, nine years ago. Um, and I moved into impact investing because I'd gotten to a point in my career where, you know, we weren't really creating anything purposeful, just moving large sums of money around. Um, Some of the transactions I was working on at the time were a bit of a shell game. And if you can kind of put yourself back in like 2007, 2008, you can imagine what kind of economic climate <laughs> that I was in. Um, and I, you know, I got to a point in my career which should have been the pinnacle and I, I kind of took stock and was like, you know, I didn't I didn't mean to end up here. There must be something better that I can do with the skills and the knowledge and, and experience that I had gained. And started to explore I mean I actually started exploring the sustainability field uh, because I had been doing uh, commercial real estate deals previous to that. Uh, no one would hire me because I didn't have a technical background, but it did lead me to a community of um, what I now know are impact entrepreneurs and impact investors and started to connect with that community in London and discovered that my finance skills were still useful, but I could help people building purposeful businesses that were actually helping to create a better world, not exploit it or ruin it. Um, and I could actually help um, startup entrepreneurs in that space get off the ground. And I was also advising um, organizations that were setting up new impact venture funds. Um, and it was still kind of early, like the, the term impact investing was coined around 2007 by the Rockefeller Foundation. Um, and But it, it was really formative for me. I started to find my place, like this is what I was um, to do. Um, Fast forward a couple of years, I relocated to Vancouver in 2011, uh, joined an impact investing team up here, and I I guess maybe naively thought uh, the space would be really well-developed here on the West Coast in the Pacific Northwest. Kind of felt like it was in the blood of Canadians, you know, like, you know, we're really um, kind of s- socially progressive, and especially on the West Coast, like, I, we're so rooted and connected and, and interconnected with nature that I thought, you know, all the problems in the world would be solved from the West Coast. Um, but I encountered folks that were still asking the question, what is impact? Like, what does impact investing mean? Like, how do we do this thing? And I started to answer those questions and and think you know deeply like what what does this mean like impact means different things to so many different people but how can i find some language to help us find 
common ground. Because at the end of the day, we're all in this together. We're all sharing this planet. We're all sharing the resources. Even more so now that the world is so globalized and, and connected. But how do, how do we find that language to show that you know, some of the things that matter to me could actually matter to you, could actually matter to someone on the other side of the planet. Um, and so I started to work on what um, the basic principles were of this approach to investing with this lens, and I, I called it integrated investing. Um, and there's kind of a couple of different layers why I called it that. And so this is 2011, 2012. And when I answered these kind of questions, people would just get like, the five-minute snippet, and I felt like, oh, you're, you're not getting the whole picture, um, but we don't have the time to have that long conversation. So I started to write it all down, um, started in 2012, and, and really started to, um, the book started to take shape in 2013, uh, and it's a, it's a whole methodology for making investment decisions with um, an overarching idea of like how do we take care of the village um, and and that really was the the basis for the book which uh, became a real thing in 2016 I published it uh, in November 2016 that's great <clears throat> that's great and how uh, did you tell us about the publishing process how, did you publish yourself publish or did you find a publisher or how did that work yeah I took a look I I I was learning the publishing space, so although, you know, my whole career I've been investing and doing due diligence and making investment decisions, the, the publishing world, uh, writing a book um, was entirely new. Um, I learned a lot in the process. So here is another thing, too, actually, on the writing, which I thought was, um, I really enjoyed this learning process. So in my career, I learned how to write technical things like I could write investment memos to influence a committee's investment decision like I knew how to communicate that way but I had to learn how to communicate you know pretty complex ideas in a more simplified way so it'd be more accessible to more people so that was a learning process in in writing in and of itself and publishing wise um, I worked with an editor and a coach um, who you know, previously uh, was an editor for um, uh, a larger press and then actually founded her own independent press. So I had some guidance from her about how to navigate publishing. And in part, I just wanted to learn, you know, how might publishers look at this? So I did actually uh, write a book proposal and I put it out to some publishers. Um, more for learning, like I wasn't really wedded to the idea of finding a publisher. And in the end, I decided to self-publish, which I loved, which I recommend to anyone entrepreneurial. It's, it's like having a small business. Um, uh, and, you know, I had to learn the whole process of producing the book, um, got to work with some amazing uh, designers. So I worked with a, with a company based here in Vancouver called Page Two Strategies. And so they helped me with the layout, the book cover, the actual production. So people have commented to me that the book looks like a real book, like it looks professionally produced, which was intentional, right? It's an investing book. Um, and 
I wanted to demonstrate like there is credibility behind this. Like I'm, I invested a lot of time and energy uh, into this and it's, it's a meaningful read. So um, I, I worked with a partner to self publish it um, and, uh, um, but did it myself. And it's, it's like a business, like there's a marketing strategy to it. There's um, a whole, um, uh, the kind of promotion plan um, and, I like self-publishing because I felt like I had more entrepreneurial control over it, over the process. Yeah. So, so the book is called Integrated Investing, Impact Investing with Heart, or sorry, Head, Heart, Body, and Soul. And you can find that at Amazon.com. And so it sounds like um, how, I mean, we, we uh, our audience, um, I think our audience is mostly, um, you know, people who are starting companies um, or thinking about starting companies or have story companies. Um, and so they're very curious about the investment space, but also, you know, we've had quite a few authors on the show. Are you working on your next book now, now that you found this, uh, this new love of, uh, of writing? Yeah, I always had the intention to write more books. And, and the first book, um, you rightly pointed out, like it was, it's designed for investors, um, people who are new to the impact in investing space that are looking for some kind of foundation or methodology to, um, hang their hat on and, and get started. It, it's also useful for existing investors who, you know, maybe they've, they've not had a formal process or methodology. So it's useful for that. And entrepreneurs have found it useful. So um, as a consequence of what I do, I, I get asked a lot of questions about like, how do investors think and what are they looking for? How do they make decisions? Um, and so a number of entrepreneurs that are starting their businesses have also found the book useful because it gives them that insight of, you know, what does it look like on the other side? What does due diligence look like? How, how can they prepare for that? Um, and <laughs> everything's kind of interrelated because in the process of promoting the book, um, you know, I'm invited to speak uh, at startup events and I get asked lots of questions about capital raising as well. And part of me has wondered whether to write all of those principles and, and tools down because I asked, I get asked a lot. And, you know, sometimes I think, well, there's so many resources out there. Do, do people really need another book about capital raising? And maybe they do because they're still asking the questions. They're not, um, they're not turning to the books that are out there already. And, and I offer a different perspective because I am an impact investor. I, I invest with a gender lens. I kind of look at things differently. Um, I, I'm a, an active writer on Quora, the Q&A website. Uh, and I've been recognized as a top writer for uh, the last couple of years. And a lot of the stuff that I write on Quora is about venture capital, angel investing, capital raising, and startups. And so there's, there, there is some content out there already, and I'm thinking about pulling that together as a second book at some point. That seems yeah. like a, a nice way to, to write a book. I mean, because to me, I, I, I wrote a book um, years ago about iPhone uh, development, and it was a lot harder than I uh, had originally thought it would be when I when I agreed to write the book. Um, and uh, I can imagine that having, you know, the a format where you can answer questions or, or write small pieces of things over time and then com- combine them together into a book might help make that process a lot easier. Yeah, when I res- was writing the first book, I would actually write a question at the top of a section 
Um, because even though the, the tools and the principles are in my head, because I eat, sleep, and breathe the stuff, I still need the reminders of what question am I answering? Is this actually yeah. useful to someone? Um, and so as a prompt to help me turn this, like could have been technical content into something actually useful and digestible and, and you know, something that someone could actually put into action. I, I wrote questions to myself and like, am I answering that? Like, like, why is this important? And, you know, who cares? Does someone care about this? Um, and that really helped me write, helped me write and just helped me um, actually communicate the ideas better. What are some of the um, the things in the book that you explored that you think would be I mean, kind of useful or interesting to to start up uh, folks in the startup space? Maybe people that are interested in think, thinking about investing in uh, or, or impact investing. Like, what are what's some um, some nuggets of wisdom from the book that you might be able to share with the audience? Yeah, the book starts uh, with a chapter called "Access to Essential Resources," and candidly, if I was to rewrite it, that that chapter would be called, What Startups Do We Still Need? Which is a useful question, both to investors and to startup entrepreneurs, um, you know, thinking about what kind of business to start. And access to essential resources was a, was a concept. It was one of the earliest uh, impact concepts that I developed. And it was originally meant to try to answer uh, what is impact, but it answers the question, what startups do, I need, do we need um, really well? Because my, my view of the world is we need essential resources to do the things that we want to do in life so that we can survive, thrive, and be happy. Everything can be categorized into six categories. And the six categories of essential resources are sustenance, so things like food, water, a roof over our heads. Second one is expression. So as, as people, like we, we need to express ourselves, communicate somehow. And that's everything from art and culture and music, but even you know, our choice of food and our cultural experiences help express our ideas, who we are, what our culture is, that sort of thing. So ex expression is, a, is another essential resource. Connection is the third. So connecting in the, in the sense of like meeting people um, or even transportation falls under connection because we need to get from point A to point B or we need goods. We need to be able to like, you know, access goods and products, um, get them from point A to point B. Um, but connection can also be you know, a coffee shop or co-working space. Like, where do we actually gather to connect with other people? Uh, the fourth one is managing change. So change happens in our life. So how do we, we need essential resources to manage that. And um, pretty plain vanilla things like insurance falls into that. Um, financial services, like having a bank account so we can actually save up some money to help us out on a rainy day, that's an essential resource for managing change. Travel actually falls into that category too, which is intentional change. Like how do you know, we, we travel to intentionally change our environment. Um, fifth one is we need essential resources for making decisions. So that's things like information, um, you know, even al algorithmic tools to help us 
narrow down you know, the thousands or millions of decisions that we have to make in a day. Um, books, education, like all these things help us, um, help prepare us to be able to make decisions. And then the last essential resource is a means of exchange. So that's where money and currency comes into play, but it's also barter systems. Like we, we need these systems so we can exchange the goods and services that we have for the other things that we need that we can't produce ourselves. So everything, anything that a business produces as a good or service can be put into these six categories. And, and, so I, and, and then the other piece to the access to essential resources concept is the type of access. And this is really important and, and where impact shows up and is on a spectrum. So a lot of people think impact investing is charity and philanthropy. And, and there is a role for that. Like that's, we need that in some cases to make sure people have even just the basic resources. So um, people that are experiencing homelessness or barriers to employment, like they need, they just need the basic resources to get a roof over their head to to get access to food and clean water. So that's at the that's basic access to resources. Um, in you know places like Vancouver and Seattle, like we 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 tend to have um, not everyone, but we tend to have that basic access. And so we're actually looking for things that you know give us more efficient access to resources or more convenient access or choice. So even things like um, being able to be being able to choose between organic and non-organic products, like that's a that's a that's choice, which is a type of access. Um, and then uh, another one is convenience, um, which a lot of non-impact uh, ventures might tend towards providing a product that is is simply a convenience because we we have what we need. We have our basic needs, but now we kind of have this extra convenience level. Uh, and then there's two other access points, which is through employment and through the supply chain. And so this model of access to essential resources and the, and the type of access helps me decide, you know, where on the impact spectrum a venture is. Um, and Peak Fund, the, the angel fund that I founded, has invested in some companies which some people might view as plain vanilla. Like we have an accounting workflow automation company in our portfolio, but, but it is actually, there is ac- impact, there is positive impact because the impact is happening um, somewhere else in their business model. Uh, it's, th- it's through their employment practices, their hiring practices, and their, sur- their supply chain. Um, so I'm able to look at different points in a business model and see, you know, is there an improvement to access to essential resources for some, you know, one or more stakeholder groups that this, this venture is providing? And that helps me decide, you know, do we need this startup still? Should we invest in it? So that sounds interesting in terms of, um, so there may be folks out there that are starting companies that don't traditionally fit within like what you would consider an impact investment. Um, maybe they're looking to, to make a difference in the world and, and they want to add something like that to their business to help do that. And then also maybe appeal to this class of investors that's looking for investments that have a, a social impact. Um, would you recommend that? Like, so if your company doesn't necessarily meet those, those basic needs, but you, you know, you're able to, 
address some need through some other way, like you said, hiring practices, or maybe there's like a, a, a promotion where you give certain products away and places where they're needed. I mean, is that a strategy that you would recommend as a way to access impact capital um, and maybe do good? Or, or uh, I I'm curious, it's just that's something interesting that you said that made me think maybe impact investors are something that can be accessed by people that don't realize that they could they could tap into that market. Well, a couple of things. Like I, I describe myself as I, I play in the middle because I, I talk to Im, like impact investors that are kind of at that pure end of impact. You know, they're really focused on um, helping people get basic access to resources. And I work with um, folks that have no idea what impact investing is. I would actually say two-thirds of the investors that I speak with are not actively impact investors. They don't describe themselves as impact investors. Um, they've maybe heard of it, but they don't know how to apply it. So anyhow, my, my point is I'm in this middle ground of, of folks that are trying to understand what impact is and is what they're doing having a positive impact or, or could. And so access to essential resources is a really good, and this idea of like like what startups do we need? Do we need the startup? is a good starting point for people to reflect on, um, you know, is there, is there purpose to what they're doing and, and, or, you know, where on that spectrum do they sit and do they want to move along that spectrum to, to be more positively impactful, to help more people access the resources that they need. Um, and I think there is, almost like an enlightenment that's happening. I mean, take a, like Larry Fink, CEO of BlackRock, writes a letter to his CEOs talking about a sense of purpose. The letter, like right at the top says sense of purpose. And he speaks about having a positive contribution to society that for companies to be successful in the long term, they need to think about these issues about who has access to the resources that they need and maybe in excess, right? Like some people have way more access to resources than they need, um, and who doesn't? And and for the leader of what's arguably the largest asset manager in the world to say that publicly <laughs> is a, is a it's a huge deal, right? And and there are many of us in this space that have been talking about this for for years and and putting this into practice, but it is starting to reach the consciousness of more folks. And, and to your question about someone starting a business, I think we, people have to start where they are, right? So I wouldn't necessarily suggest drastically altering a business model to try to secure capital from an impact investor. It really needs to start with some reflection of, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it purposeful? what's what's important but let but let me also reflect on what's happening in the world and can i make a can i make a difference can i do things differently in my business to have a more positive contribution and we we read about business leaders that have done that um i can't remember the name of the company exactly but it's it's quote it's it's the company that um they were a carpet manufacturer i think it was called interface um and they're an often cited example because I think manufacturing carpets was like really um, 
quite had a really negative impact on the environment. Like there was a lot of toxins used to um, treat the materials. There's a lot of waste created, and the leader of that business, um, you know, probably went through this kind of reflection of like, hang on a second, what are what are we doing? Um, is there a better way of running this business, doing the things that we know how to do well, but can we do it better so we're not hurting the planet and not hurting people and future generations? And that's, that's really what this is about. That's, that's, that is captured in this idea of taking care of the village. Our, our village might be small or it's big. Like it's, you know, the planet is our, our village too. <laughs> Right. So you make investments uh, how, like far and wide? Like where do you, where do you uh, typically, like where are your companies typically located? Currently, my focus is British Columbia, Canada. Uh, I mentioned briefly, I founded uh, an angel fund, an inclusive angel fund called Peak Fund, P-I-Q-U-E. Um, and I started this fund, it launched just over three years ago in 2014. Um, and I've been investing in, in with a leadership diversity focus. And so our portfolio is right now 100% women-founded, women-led companies, technology companies in, in, in BC. Uh, and so I you know, wanted to focus on investing in, on my doorstep. Um, but I do have growth plans for peak um, and um, future plans. You know, we want to extend that geography a little wider, head head further east in Canada and also head south through the Pacific Northwest. Gotcha. What's your next book going to be about? How's, how, how are you going to approach that one? Yeah, as I mentioned, um, I, I'm an active writer on Quora. There's a whole ton of content on there. Um, you know, I was, it was I'm, actually, and if you go to my Quora profile, you can find me easily, Bonnie Foley Wong. I have a list of five or six book ideas. <laughs> I'm not going to write all of them all at once. Um, and I, and I kind of look at the second book like it's like a sequel. Sequels are always hard. Um, I think I have some uh, unfounded expectations like you know this kind of this feeling of like you know I kind of learned the lessons with the first one how do I how do I do this one better and and doing the second book better isn't necessarily just about the content or what it's about or how I write it it's also how do I get these ideas out in people's hands um, early um, so kind of like building building the audience before the book is even uh, finished and published but it you know so I, I <laughs> my husband reminds me not to take on too many projects. When, when I wrote the first book, I was launching Peak Fund. I had co-founded a venture accelerator. Um, I was pregnant at the time, too, and had my, had my first, uh, first baby in 2014. And, and right now, it's quite a, it's quite a busy year, too, um, because I'm you know, thinking about growth plans for Peak. And there, there's also a business in Washington State that I that I manage with a business partner, and so my husband's like, you know, do you really need to write a book now? <laughs> um, but as I said, like, there's a lot of um, uh, content and information, knowledge base that I've written on Quora, um, mainly around uh, 
venture capital, angel investing, and capital raising. I think the second book, second book might be geared more towards capital raising and, and more an entrepreneur-focused book, um, but building on some of the stuff that I've already written on Quora, maybe some kind of almost like a collection of, of uh, essays and, and tips and tools to help entrepreneurs access capital more easily. Right. What do you, do you have, I mean, different... I need a name for the book, by the way. <laughs> so, like, the if you have any clever ideas for, like, you know, plays on the word capital, I don't know. <laughs> I'm well, open to suggestions. Well, okay. Well, well, we'll give it some thought. I mean, maybe the audience will have some ideas. Um, yeah. So what do you, I mean, different writers have different sort of disciplines, right? Because it does take a discipline to, to actually get through a whole thing. And Mike, I, you touched on this earlier. I mean, it's not easy, right? Because... You might think it's easy, but once you start writing a book, even if you get it largely, you know, outlined, it just turns into a, a bigger project. I think most people expect, right? Every every book turns into a bigger project than people expect. What's your? Do you have a discipline you follow? Do you do you wake up at four a.m. every morning and work until five thirty a.m. on the book, or what? How do you? What's your practice? Yeah, there's there's what I did for the first book, and then there will be what I have to do for the second book. So the first book, um, I pretty much dedicated Sundays to writing. So I'd, I'd spend almost the whole day and just have Sunday in a cafe to concentrate on writing. Um, as I mentioned, I worked with an editor and a coach, which really helped um, because having someone else to be accountable to that I had to send chapters to, like by a deadline, um, helped, me, helped me stick to a plan. And her... Her approach was just write it down. Like there's nothing, there's nothing to edit and there's nothing to review and comment on and improve if, if I hadn't written the words down. And so, some, so the first thing is setting aside the time and having a schedule to do it. Second thing was <laughs> having the discipline to not self-edit while writing, um, which I still have to remind myself to do because there, there's a temptation to, you know, write a sentence and like, oh, I don't really like how that's, how I said that, so go back and change it. That's, it slows things down so much. Like the first go, just got to get the words down. And then editing is like a whole different process later. Um, and that's almost like a third point. Like that's a, that's a, Editing is as much part of writing as writing is, um, and like so my and kind of wrapping it all together, like working working with someone. Like don't do it on your own. Like have, you know, either have um, a coach or an editor alongside. Uh, ha- getting that feedback is really helpful. It's kind of like starting a startup with with a co-founder or a team, right? Like don't writing can be very solitary and isolating. So so don't do it. By yourself like find a writing buddy find somebody else who's trying to write a book and like you know urge each other on um, for the second book because I now have a kid I don't have the same kind of time I don't have like Sundays um, to dedicate to writing so I kind of have to um, squeeze in the time wherever I can and it's actually one of the things I was trying to improve over the course of last year how to be more efficient and productive with my writing. So if I sat down for an hour, if I only had an hour, you know, can I just um, 
be really focused and just get the words down um, and and not overthink that I don't have a day dedicated to writing because um, we're all busy people. You know, most I, I think, especially when you know entrepreneurs or you know people with with their own businesses and stuff like we don't have a lot of time to dedicate to writing full time, if only. Um, so we have to squeeze it in wherever wherever we can. Right. Mike, are you going to write another book? Yeah, I don't know about that one. It, the book was a lot harder than, <laughs> than I imagined. I don't have the the, the, the fire uh, for writing that Joe has. Um, I don't know. I think that there's like a... I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Maybe you just have to like keep at it and do it. But I don't have that passion for like I have a book in me that has to come out. Um, so it, it felt it felt very much like, uh, like work. Um, and I'm not sure. I guess that's kind of how it is. Uh, for writers, but I, don't know, I have this imagine this idea in my head that writers that that that, um, that the best writers have some kind of a message that they just have to get out, and they just, like nothing can stop them from getting this book done. And I don't know if I have that, so probably not. <laughs> I think there's a it's a mix. I think there's a bit of a discipline too. Like certainly with my first book, as I said, like I had all this information in my head, and people were asking me about it. And I felt like I was doing a disservice to people if I didn't get it down on paper. Because, you know, pe- people were getting this incomplete picture. And it's like, no, like you need, like it's, it's a whole process. It's a whole methodology. And, and it's not just about doing due diligence. Impact investing isn't just about how do I find these companies and how do I evaluate them? Like there's a whole foundational, foundational piece, like I said, about like reflecting on what startups do we need and <clears throat> why am I doing this in the first place? So with the first book, it, w- it was kind of like that. I've got this urgency to get this message out there. Um, the subsequent books, like it's, it is driven by the fact that I like, I like writing. I like writing as a, as a medium for communicating ideas. Um, and interesting, the other kind of flip side to it, um, I am I I was a picky reader and I wasn't really reading a lot of books um in the course of the year but as I started writing I knew that I needed to read other people's work like you'll hear that from people who write as well like reading more actually helps us write better too and so last year um I managed to finish 10 books and then like kind of discovered like like wow there's so much great material out there there's so there's so many great books um and so then I set a goal to read 20 books this year and I've already finished four in a month which is like um, it amazes me it might not amaze other people who are like reading hundreds but (laughs) it's like like oh my gosh like I'm always I'm almost halfway through how many books I read last year and 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 I'm like it's it's quality reading I'm not skimming (laughs) <laughs> I'm actually reading, um, uh, I'm actually, you know, investing the time to read too. And, and it's a lot of fun. It's kind of a really neat, neat mix of stuff that I'm reading right now. Yeah. Uh, this guy, um, I was going to say Naval Ravikant, who's like a, a big uh, cryptocurrency guy. He's a start founder of AngelList. Um, he has this, uh, something he said recently was, um, was about reading. And he said that the, the, one of the keys to, to reading lots of books is not being afraid to put a book down if it just isn't working out for you, if you're stuck on it, if, if it's feeling like a chore and it's not enjoyable, just just scrap it and move on to the next book. Like that people have too much of a, of a 
tendency to want to feel like they have to finish a book and it, it'll slow you down because you know you should just be reading about the stuff that you find interesting so if you're not if it's not interesting you put it down that's that's uh, i thought that was pretty good advice and then you never know you might pick it up again yeah. So, so there's a there's a I have a lot of um, started books from last year, and um, I'll sh- I'll share one of the I, like I highly recommend this book actually. So I start I um, I borrowed this book from friends of mine. I probably borrowed it about four years ago, <laughs> and it sat on my bookshelf for three years. Last year, I finally picked it up, started to read it thoroughly depressed me and I was like oh I can't I can't do this it's Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning yeah and I I picked it up again I just finished it and again like because I've been reading more I was able to get past the kind of superficial of how depressing and and just gripping the story is to to actually being able to understand the message that Frankel was trying to to get across, and it's sh- it's so good, <laughs> and I, I attribute that to the practice of reading. Like I'm actually getting better at at reading and kind of um, uh, truly understanding what the authors are trying to communicate. And and you're right, like not all books. Um, I actually find it really fun reading these books too for the style of writing um there's certainly some that i think the style is awesome um and you know the books again like convey a complex topic but they're really easy read like um uh i actually quite liked michael lewis's flash boys i thought that was a really fun read like he he just writes really well and takes these like so flash boys is about um high frequency trading um, and I quite liked it because there's a Canadian protagonist in it, but anyhow, um, but he takes these complex things that could otherwise be kind of boring too. Like I'm, I, I'm, you know, I'm not a high frequency trader. I have no interest in, in being that, but I was, I was interesting in, interested in the topic and Michael Lewis wrote it really well. And it's, it's like, there's, anyhow, it's, it's a fun story. Um, and then I also read a book by Margaret Atwood called Payback. It's a nonfiction book on, um, like her uh, reflections on debt and like where debt comes from, like what is it, what's its origins? Um, and be, like, she's such an amazing nonfiction writer. Her storytelling ability is um, is an amazing way of talking about this again, like otherwise complex or boring topic of debt. And it, it's anyhow, I recommend those two books too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, those are great. Yeah, no, I, I I appreciate what you say. I I've been trying to read more books this year too, and um, and I think you're I think there is something to that. If you if you uh, if you want to be a good writer, you got to read a lot. Um, I really like the Sapiens by Yuval Harari. That was a great one. Um, I don't know if you've read that one yet or not, but. We could talk probably all day about books we liked. It would be fun. Maybe we ought to have another yeah. interview on the show again. We'll talk about books. <laughs> and the but, books uh, are great for for business people and entrepreneurs. Like, um, it's funny because, like, people will ask, oh, you know, what books do you recommend, you know, for, for people? You know, I'm thinking about starting a business. What books do you recommend? Or was just asked recently, like, you know, what books could I read to help develop an entrepreneurial mindset? And... I'm an advocate of like broad reading, right? Like you don't need to read just 
startup and business books to gain the skills to be good at building a business or investing in a business. Like reading a broad range just opens our minds so much. And like that broader knowledge is really useful for building useful, awesome businesses, successful businesses. Yeah, I'm a believer in that too. I mean, anything, read anything. It could be mystery, it could be murder mystery, it could be, it could be anything. Science uh, fiction. Read, like I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm getting. Like I, I was never a science fiction reader, um, and I blame my husband for this. Like he, he's a real, real avid science fiction person, and he encouraged me to read a book called Cloud Atlas. And I was like, oh my god, like really, <laughs> it's not a small book, and I loved it. And it's kind of like, oh, like maybe there's something in this, and. maybe it was like the parallel of me really um really developing my my path in venture investing like a lot of (laughs) a lot of what we're investing are you know they're the companies of the future they're developing things that hadn't existed before and so like reading science fiction has been again like kind of eye-opening and mind-opening to what's possible right and like some of the some science fiction stuff has become science fact now too so it's 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 kind of it's kind of fun to to do that oh yeah for sure well so everyone who's listening um we've been talking to bonnie foley wong she's an investor and an impact investor and an author and her book is called integrated investing impact investing with head heart body and soul and uh it's been a really fun conversation, Bonnie. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Yeah, I highly recommend picking up the book. Um, as Joe and Mike said, it's available on Amazon or anywhere books are sold online. And um, also check out Peak Ventures, P-I-Q-U-E Ventures. That's where um, all of my impact investing and management and, and investing stuff lives. Yeah, and then also look for Bonnie on Quora.com. She's one of the... Uh, I mean, it's a, not an easy thing to do to become one of the, uh, what, what's the, what are they, if you write a lot and you get a lot of feedback on your writing and a lot of likes and stuff, they call you a, a top, celebrated top writer. Top writer. Yes, I've been a top that's writer a, for a couple of years. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. That's not an easy thing to pull off. So congratulations on, on that. That's really fun. And congratulations on much. everything you're doing. We're super motivated. The next time you, I mean, you did come down to Seattle and talk about your book once before, but please let us know when you're coming down again. Yeah, we'll do. I'm down there frequently. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Mike, do you have any parting Mike, thoughts? No, no, this has been great. Thanks, Bonnie. I appreciate you taking the time. Um, and thanks, for everyone, else for listening. We'll see you all next week.